This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 87 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today my guest is Tracy Morgan, one of the funniest people in the world for eight years on Saturday Night Live, for eight years on 30 Rock, and the list goes on, and also the survivor of a terrible June 2014 car wreck that killed his mentor, James Jimmy Mac McNair, and left Morgan with a traumatic brain injury, physically shattered, and in a coma for weeks. The story of how Morgan, less than two years later, returned to host SNL and landed an Emmy nomination for Best Guest Actor in a Comedy Series is nothing short of a miracle. And the story of how he became a star in the first place is quite remarkable as well. Over the course of our conversation, we talk about his youth in the projects, where he dealt crack until the murder of a friend who had urged him to pursue comedy motivated him to do just that. We talk about how he came to SNL, one of a small number of black men who had ever been employed on the show, and how Lorne Michaels made him feel welcome, and Tina Fey wrote him roles, and he created beloved characters like Brian Fellow and Astronaut Jones. We talk about his time on 30 Rock, on which he played his alter ego, Tracy Jordan, during which Alec Baldwin became a role model on and off set, and for which he received an Emmy nomination in 2009. And in the most emotional part of the interview, we talk about what happened to him early that morning two summers ago, and everything he has been through since. It's a conversation I won't soon forget, and I doubt you will either. So without further ado, let's go to it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tracy, thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We always begin by asking, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Well, there's a lot of things on the record, but you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Tompkins Projects. 1968, I grew up the first nine years of my life in Coney Island, Marlboro Projects. And then at 13, I went to live with my dad in the Bronx. So I'm from Brooklyn by way of the Bronx. Right. 
the boogie oogie. <laughs> From bed star, do or die, take the girl, kill a guy. Then I moved up to the boogie oogie down Bronx. <laughs> so life in the projects, I guess, could be tough. And you... Well, no, could be. It, it was, right? It wasn't just the projects. It was New York. New York City is the jungle. So where did your sense of humor amidst all of this still come from? In the jungle. My instincts. Okay? People ask all the time. I'm sitting on stage. The reason why I'm so funny, because my older brother was born crippled. He was crippled with cerebral palsy at 14. So sometimes kids in the schoolyards could be mean. But then you go get your big brother. And he come back with you, and he got your back. I couldn't do that, because my brother was crippled. So I learned to be real funny to keep the bullies off my ass. You said, quote, I was the life of the party. I made them laugh and everything. But when I went home, it would just be like I was mad, close quote. Why were you mad? Was it about that or was it other things? Well, it was my dad not being there, you know, because of circumstances coming from Vietnam. He picked up some bad habits. Then my mom's by herself having us so young, you know, and frustration and poverty. And I just seen it, you know, she was by herself. She didn't really have no help at that point, and I was just angry. And why, just a few credits short of graduating from high school, did you leave? Because my dad died. But you were there to take care of him at the end, right? Yeah, I was there to take care of him to the day he died, but his wife, my stepmother, Gwen, she died two years later. But I was there to take care of my father, and it was a bit much for a kid that was 17, 18 years old. You know, my dad. And when he was gone, I just didn't care about nothing no more. And that's when you kind of fell into some tough things? Yeah, selling drugs and things like that. My, my guidance was gone. My friend was gone. And I wasn't equipped at that age to deal with that emotionally. It just all fell apart for you kind of after For that. a little while until I met my ex-wife. She pulled me up out of the game. You know, she had, she had two kids already that I later adopted, Malcolm and Gitrit, Sabina. And she, she was a little older than me and... She gave me that guidance and she put responsibility in my life because they were never my stepkids, those were my kids. And then I started being responsible. And that pulled me off the streets along with the strong force. It was a strong force called comedy. And it pulled me off the streets because my dad was really funny and it was his sense of humor, I think, was that strong force. It was his sense of humor and the spiritual world that was that strong force that said, come to me. And it was comedy. And there was also, though, just on a more immediate level, there was a sort of a tragedy that happened while you were out on the streets that sort of led you to... My boy, Alan. Who, who was he? Alan, yeah. My best friend, Alan Boxdale, my man, Al. We was best friends since we was about five, six years old, and we was also drug partners. And we was dealing drugs together, unfortunately, to my community. And that always hurt me. It always didn't sit well with me. I had just met my ex-wife, and... I finally cracked for the pussy. <laughs> and she finally gave me some, so I stayed up in the Bronx that night. And that morning, after a night of fucking, you know what I'm saying, or banging or whatever, right. boning, whatever, and my sister, my people went off, and it was my sister 911. I called her back, and she was crying. She said they shot Allen. So I rushed to Brooklyn, and he was already in that hospital by that time. And he passed away in the hospital. And about two months later, I started doing comedy. We used to be, like, cooking the crack up and stuff. He would tell me, I remember one time he told me, why are you doing this shit, man? You should be doing comedy. I said, shut the fuck up, Al. And then two months later, he died. What did he see in you that maybe you didn't see in yourself at that point? Why did he think you were funnier than you thought? Al was the leader, man. 
He had confidence and he seen that in me. I guess he's seeing, I was really funny. He said, you funny. He used to always tell me, I used to have him crack it up, man. <laughs> he was the type of guy that would sick me on people in the basketball court. He would start something just to hear me snap on somebody. <laughs> he was that dude, he would instigate a, a snapping contest. And I would always win. And then he, you know, he started betting money. I got $20, you can't fuck with my man. <laughs> and then, you know, he got killed. And I always remember that. I, went, I remember when I went to the Uptown Comedy Club. I was in the Bronx. And I met my man, Mike. He said, yo, you never been to the Uptown Comedy Club? I was doing for something, something came over me. And I would just do comedy everywhere. Do comedy everywhere. Then I found that hat with the propeller. And I put it on. <laughs> and I started doing comedy everywhere. Then my man, he's a drug dealer uptown. He's like, yo, you never heard of the Uptown Comedy Club? I said, what the fuck is the Uptown Comedy Club? He said, he, he took me there on a Tuesday night. And I looked in. We got there. And I seen Flex Alexander on stage. And I said, oh, snap. And I was getting ready to go in, and Miss Brown, she owned the club. Miss Brown stopped me at the door and said, no, nah, baby, you can't come in here. This is $15. I ain't have $15. And I was getting ready to walk out the door. My man Rock, he was security there. He said, yo, you funny? I said, yeah, I'm funny. He said, you look funny. I said, I'm funny, money, with my tough street attitude. Right. He said, come to the workshop Wednesday. And I went to the workshop that Wednesday, and I was the first person I ever met was Jimmy Mack. He died in an accident with me. I remember. He was the first person I ever met in show business. Unbelievable. How he said, yo, you here for the show, for the workshop? I said, yeah, my name is Tracy Morgan. He said, I'm Jimmy Mack. And we was this ever since that day, ever since that minute. So from there, you, just four months later. Four just, months later, I was on Def Jam. That was the day I met Martin Lawrence. He was a big figure in terms of transitioning from a guy who was just funny to a professional, Martin right? Lawrence, he's still my OG. <laughs> he's still my inspiration to this day. And why is that? He put you on his show. He seen this funny in me. He gave me a shot. But he also taught me how to carry myself as a professional and as a man. And he showed me the profession. And to this day, I'm thankful to him. To this day, the things that he would show me and teach me is still dawning on me now. And, and as it dawns on me, I pass it on to the younger people that's rolling me. My man Welly and Ben and Mark Thiel, and all, all those around me, you know, that are young comrades in comedy. When you were on his show, Martin, is that when you first heard about SNL? Well, I was doing a show. I was really devoted to the Martin Lawrence show. And then I had a manager named Barry Katz who got me to audition with Saturday Night because I don't think SNL was going to allow me to audition. And he said, no, you got to see this guy with a propeller hat. He's funny. <laughs> Marcy Klein was the head of entertainment. She allowed me to audition for the show. And I, I was hundreds of people, brothers, that were auditioning, and I, I got it. Because the first time was at Comic Strip on 72nd Street. Marcy Klein and them came. Then the second audition I did there, Lauren Michaels showed up. And then I got the audition. I guess Marcy went back and told him, you must see this guy. You must see him. And then Lauren came that night. And then next thing I know, I was I was auditioning at AH, the Rosie O'Donnell set. She was she had that show, the Rosie O'Donnell mm -hmm. set. And I auditioned in front of Kenny Amon and Lauren Michaels and oh, Burbank via satellite. And then I was cleaning my car one day and Marcy Khan called me and said, you have to come meet with Lauren Michaels. That was the last step. Me and Mark Marin went in. Mark went in before me. I went in there, 
and I spoke to Lauren Michaels. And we went from Chauvin to talking about, because he had three kids, I had three kids, and that's where we, we really bonded. It was on a family thing. He seen I was a young father, and he seen I was so devoted to my family. That's all it is for me. And he seen that, and I guess he liked that. And next thing I know, I was a cast member. And the very first thing I did on SNL, that summer before we were up in September, that summer, we did, did a commercial parody, and guess who was with me on that? Jimmy Mack. He went with me to the commercial parody because I was so nervous. And it was, come bathe with me, Caribbean Essence. <laughs> it was the very first thing I ever did. Was SNL something that you had grown up caring about? Was it a big... You don't think? I don't know. In 1975, my father had went to Vietnam. I was born in 68. When my father came home from Vietnam, he didn't smile much. He was still traumatized and shell-shocked from Vietnam. But one night, on a Saturday night, Saturday Night Live came on, and then my father laughed so hard. I'd never seen him laugh. I'd never seen his teeth laugh like that. He was laughing so hard because it was that. When I, years later, when I became a cast member, I thank Lauren Michaels. Thank you for making my father laugh again. And that just strengthened everything with me and Lauren Michaels. And I said it this when I just hosted in October. Uh-huh. When If you look at it. I brought my. I asked Lauren Michaels because Lauren Michaels would come in my dressing room periodically throughout the show, to make sure I was alright, make sure I was physically feeling good, because mm-hmm. he cared about me. Yeah, called me every birthday, all of that. So then we was coming to good nights, and I said, Lauren Michaels, Lauren. I never called Lauren. Yeah, I said, yeah. Lauren, do you mind if I take my wife and my son and my daughter on stage? And he looked at me and said, Of course. He said, Of course. And I just thought about when I was saying good night. All the calls when I was in an accident, he called constantly. Before the accident, he would always call me. And I just said, Lauren, I love you like I love my daddy. Because I know my father was working through him spiritually. I know it. When you first got to SNL, from what I've read, right. you were not totally comfortable at first. And I think that it Why was... Why would I be? Why would I be? Right. I'm from a world of black. Why would I be? But the thing that kind of changed that was another conversation with Lauren, right? He said to me one night, I said, Lauren, I don't think anyone's writing for me because I'm black. He said, you're not here because you're black. You're here because you're funny. That night when he said that to me, my fangs came down and I began to feed. It had nothing to do with my color. It never had nothing to do with my color. It got something to do with me making everybody, no matter what color you are, laugh. Only way you do that is by telling the truth. Something everybody can identify and relate with. We're all human beings, no matter what they do in this world. We're all human beings. Everybody here put their pants on one leg at a time. That's right. Everybody wipe their own ass when they shit. That's right. What did you do when you got your first SNL paycheck? I moved my family up out of the hood, out of the ghetto. You've said in another interview, you said, I felt like Noah, right? I mean, it was I just. I felt my ark when I put my family on there. And my father always told me, you from here, but you're not of this. And I want my kids, I always wanted my kids to have a better life than I did. Better childhood growing up than I did. And I went all out. Every time I grabbed the mic, now I go all out. Because I'm never going to forget that. I always want my kids to have the best. Because they're my kids. You were there at an interesting time. I think one of your earliest seasons, or early on, was the 9-11 show where you got coming back after 9-11. I didn't know how we was going to do it. I worried. And I was really grieving. I was grieving. I was in mourning like the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. 
I cried. I remember that day I walked around in the street and I cried. I just took my kids to school. And I was on Fordham Road in the Bronx and the cab driver said, you heard? The Empire State Building just got blown up. And I looked down the four line and you could see right down to the World Trade Center and the World Trade Center was on fire. Me and my wife got home and we was looking at the news. And that's when I seen a second. I was looking at, she was looking at the news and I was in the back of the house looking down. And I said, oh shit, it's on fire. Then that's when I seen the other so you saw with your own eyes. I seen the, not the plane because it was yeah, too far downtown, yeah. but I seen the fire. And I said, and then my wife started screaming because she seen it on the news. Yeah. She started screaming. We just ran to the school and got our kids out of school. Mm-hmm. Everybody was going to that school to get their kids out. I said parachutes might start coming out the fucking sky. I guess at that point you couldn't have imagined that. that at that point, I said they're here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have guessed, though, that, I mean, SNL really well, played a big role in helping people. We were supposed people. to go up that September. Yeah. So after the smoke, I'm going, how the fuck are we going to do comedy when the country is in mourning? And Lauren Michaels, being the genius that he is, said, what we're going to do is let the mayor of New York City come on and tell the world, it's time to start laughing again. We're going to build four more buildings. Fuck that. This is America. We're going to build four more fucking buildings. How about that? And that was when we did the show. And Giuliani. Yeah. It was a, one of the funniest monologues and openings ever. And yeah. I remember everyone in the studio crying, just breaking down crying. You'd be walking by and some makeup ladies in the corner crying. It was that. But it was, it was a thing. Yeah. It was nobody was moved because everybody had their moment. It's America. Everybody. Then I remember being saying goodnight and... The firefighters and police and ambulance came from ground zero. They had just came from ground zero to that stage to say goodnight. They had just came from ground zero. I remember hugging the firemen and patting them on the back and seeing dust. And I broke down. I lost it. I just cried and I, I cried and I, I couldn't take it. And it was, it was incredible. It was difficult because I knew he had just came from ground zero. Then two weeks later, I found out that our boy bished me. Dogface had just did BET Comic View, and he worked in Building One, and he came out of Building One to go into Building Two to get his boy, and he perished in, in the building. And they didn't find out it was him until like three, four months later. They found half his bicep with his tattoo on there, and it was difficult because his wife is pregnant. I love you, Bishmi. I love you, Dogface. Yeah. From 9-11, for months they kept putting tickets on his car because he didn't drive to work that day. And they found out. They found out. Well, what I've read is that you weren't so much into the writing. You were you were very performance well, centric, right? I, I couldn't deal with rejection like that. Yeah. So uh, I would try to appease the writers and all that, but my stuff would never get on. But <laughs> I said I'm gonna start just performing and letting them cast me into their sketch. So they did. They did, and I was really funny in them. And some of the things I wrote got in, like the Tito stuff, and some of the stuff I got in. When they started to cast me, but when Paula Pell and Tina Fey and all of them started to cast me and Joe Eugene, that's when things took off. That's when I start, came up with my with the things that were writing before, like the Brian Fellows <laughs> and uh, Astronaut Jones. Right. I started to collaborate with other writers. See, competition is a blessing, but collaboration is also a blessing. Mm-hmm. And I love collaborating. And it was really through that process that you and Tina hit it off, right? Yeah, yeah. Because she, she would. Judge Judy and all of that. Yeah. And um, The View and all of those things. 
So after eight seasons of this, what made you decide it was time to move on? It was seven seasons. Seven, excuse me. I one day went to, I was in L.A. at Burbank, and we were doing um, the, the what is the, I forget. And I was, I, I passed Lauren Michaels and Dick Wolf, Law and Order and all. Yeah. And I made both of them laugh so hard. And next thing you know, I got this call to do my own TV show on NBC, and I wrote the Tracy Morgan show. So I was still a cast member on SNL while I had my own TV show on NBC. Simultaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the reason why I stepped away, because I, I wanted to go from late night to prime time. Yeah. And I, that, because that's a different thing. This is a different beast, too, late night and prime time. On the Tracy Morgan show, which was 2003 to 2004, and then again on 30 Rock, 2006 to 2013, both times you played somebody named Tracy. Well, Eddie Murphy, one of my comedic heroes, told me, well, you know how Chevy Chase got so big on SNL? He would say, hi, I'm Chevy Chase. <laughs> right. That's how you become a household name right. in the household. Right. Because you can be a household name, and nobody still know you in the household. Right. But you want to be a household name in the household, say your name. So whenever I got a chance to use my name, Tracy, because you don't want to be walking through the airport for the next 17 years and people go, hey, boo-boo. <laughs> no. They say, hey, Tracy. Right. I respond to Tracy because that's the name my parents gave me. So, But it was always very important to you, even if sometimes maybe fans might have gotten confused. Tracy Jordan was not Tracy Morgan. It was almost like an alter ego. I think you had first done that. Was it yeah, well, Biscuit? Well, well yeah. <laughs> well, Biscuit, yeah, Biscuit was me as a child. Right. With a chip on my shoulder because my dad wasn't there. Like every other black kid in the inner city whose father wasn't there. You grew up with this attitude, chip on your shoulder because your daddy, your mommy ain't there, whatever. You know, so I just, at that young age in comedy, I was already doing characters. I was already doing Biscuit. <laughs> huh. My name is Biscuit. I was already doing that. <laughs> And I just did got on TV. Right. So I was doing that before because I see my dad doing it. Characters. But when you're playing somebody named Tracy. Some people can be confused. Yeah. Some people think they're talking to Tracy Jordan. Yeah. And I correct them. Yeah. I correct them. I read one time in an interview and it said, anyone who thinks that Tracy Morgan is silly like Tracy Jordan, jokes on you. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's different since the accident. I tapped into something different. I tapped into something different. I went to the other side and came back. And I was on stage 14 months later, hosting SNL. That don't happen for most people. No. Most people that suffered the injuries that I suffered aren't hosting no fucking TV show. They in vegetated states. I thank God I'm fortunate. I ain't lucky. People say, you lucky. No, I'm not. I'm fortunate. If you want luck, go to Atlantic City. <laughs> go to fucking Vegas. Luck is for Lucifer. Right. Luck is short for Lucifer. Yeah. I feel fortunate to be here talking to you on this mic. Absolutely. Well, um, just a couple other things before we get more to the present, but I, I've got to okay. ask you, you talked about Alec Baldwin and said that he was, quote, one of the five greatest actors of all time and, quote, just working with him has made me better, close quote. What was it about him that, that sort of rubbed off on you when you were his working professionalism. together? professionalism. Yeah. His intense focus. Intense. Where he'll curse you out if you're in the way. If we're acting and somebody make a noise or drop something, it's a problem. Because <laughs> he has that Bruce Lee intent, that focus, that laser beam focus. 
And that's what I learned. That's what I learned. He's great. He is one of the greatest five actors. You got James Brown out there. You got Marlon Brando. You have Alec. Interesting. Just because of his intensity. I've seen it. I've seen it for seven seasons on 30 Rock. I've seen it. Why you think he got on Golden Globes or Emmys? Yeah. He wasn't messing around. No. One other thing about that is on 30 Rock, they would, even though you're playing a, a very different guy, a very different Tracy, sometimes they would bleed things from your own life into that, right? Sometimes it would be positive things. Sometimes it would be, you know, sadder things like where you've talked about with the My kidney transplant, kidney transplant the yeah. ankle, whatever. Were you comfortable? Did you like that where you got to draw on your own experiences on the show? Is it easier it to work through things on? It worked. Yeah. As long as it was associated with funny, I was fine. Just to make fun of me, just to make fun of me, that's, that's not good. But they made it funny. Yeah. As long as it was affiliated with funny, as long as we did it in the spirit of funny, I'm fine. In my house, I have a mural of The Last Supper. Richard Pryor, Lucia Ball, Jackie Gleason is the supper, and Richard Pryor is the messiah. <laughs> as long as we do comedy in the spirit of yeah. those, the legends, the comedy gods, we're protected. And that's how I always approached it. As long as we do comedy and the George Garland's, the Gleason's, the Pygmy Martins, the Robin Harris's, the Flip Wilson's. As long as we do it, the Moms Mabley's and the Lucia Balls. As long as we do it, the, the Joan Rivers. As long as we do comedy in the spirit of the comedy guards, we are protected. You know what that reminds me of a little bit is that long after you could afford to eat anywhere you wanted, you continued to go to Benihana, right? Why Still was go. that? Because I love Benihana. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But not only the food, right? There's something about the... Well, there's a built-in audience. If you're sitting at a table with strangers you don't know and you're being funny and there's no conversation going, you're pretty much an asshole. <laughs> you're being exposed. You're a fucking asshole. Yeah. We're sitting here and we're eating. We got good wine, good drink, and good wine and sangria. <laughs> and you don't speak to no fucking mom at this table? So you look at people, you turn your head slightly, you go, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and so that's where you would test you anti -social out. anti-social motherfucker. <laughs> Ey, good wine, man. <laughs> beefsteak Charlie's. Good wine and sangria. Or you can eat shrimp bar. So, but for you, it was a, you realize this is I a, just love people. What do you remember, if anything, from early in the morning of June 6, 2014? The show was on June 6th. I remember getting up. I remember the night before. I remember two days before I did a photo shoot for People Magazine. Was you there, Jay? With my daughter for Father's Day. Maven was really sick, but she went along with the shoot, that little girl, two months old. And she had a tooth fat because she was teething. And I told my wife that night, June 6th, said, baby, stay home with the baby. Stay home with the baby. I'll be back. I'm going to go to Delaware. I'm going to do the show. And look what happened. Because your family would normally go on the road with you, right? So that's just faith that that did not happen. Yeah. And uh, we left. And I remember the SUV came. And Artie came. And we all left together in that SUV. It was an SUV. We, didn't, we came back in the Sprinter. And my wife was training. She was training. 
and she was walking with the trainer around the block, and she had the baby in a stroller. And as we rolled past, Maven was down here, and me and Jimmy both waved goodbye to her. And we went to our gig. Little did Jimmy know, little did we know. And that's why it was such a traumatic thing for all of us involved. So it was traumatic for the world and for the families and the fans, and I just want to apologize and say we never wanted any of y'all to go through that. Anybody out there in the world. We're so happy you're here. This sorry happened. When you're in a coma, just because I don't talk to too many people who have been in a coma, I have to ask, do you remember anything? No, you don't. You, 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 I had visions, but I can't really say I was in a coma. Maybe I was out of the coma, in the coma, very medicated. I remember the vision of my dad wearing a green robe. I remember that. I don't know if I was, I was talking to Megan today and we saw a picture and I said, that was the day I came home. She said, no, you was home. You was home for two weeks when you took that picture. That was the first time you came downstairs out the bedroom. I was in the bedroom for two weeks. I didn't know. Just a blur. Yeah, you don't know. I didn't start remembering until six, seven months into being home. You don't know. It's traumatic brain injury. You just don't know. But the vision that you're talking about, I think you've said before. Of my daddy. It was frightening to me then. But now, you know, I embrace it more. I see to myself in my mind, damn, I got to see my father get. That was my reward. That was my reward. I got to see my daddy again. I don't look at it in a negative way. I just say to myself, I got to see my father again. He left me when I was 19. He ain't finished, but I got to see him one more time. And that's just what I say. Hey, listen, if it took for that truck to hit me to see my daddy one more time, I'm glad. I'm glad I got to see him because I know I, I, I don't remember it, but I know I just said, daddy, your grandkids look good. Because he never got to see none of them. Uh-huh. Daddy, your grandkids look good. My sons look good. Your granddaughter look good. She's smart. And your, your daughter-in-law look good. Did he say anything to you? He just said, I'm not ready. For you? Not for me, but he wasn't ready. Yeah. I'm sitting at the Emmys in September 2014, right. and Jimmy Kimmel comes out, and this is like a few months after your accident. Right. Nobody knew what your future held, including you, I think, at that point. And Jimmy said something like, get well soon, Tracy. We'll see you here next year. Jimmy Kimmel was my friend, and I love him. And there was no guarantee. I mean, that was a big leap to imagine that you might be there the next year. So how did it work out that? From the day I got hit to me coming back to the Emmys, it was. When I look at it now, it was. Like being in a coma for 10 days, it was. When they announced the following Emmys, we're, we're at the last category. we got a special guest. Please welcome Tracy Morgan. That moment must, I mean, I know in the audience, I'm looking around and everybody's got goosebumps and crying and all that. For you, yeah, this is your first public appearance since the accident. How, how big was that moment for you? Just to be welcomed back to my community, to be welcomed back home, to see everybody, John Hammond them and just really happy for me. You seen it was sincere at that moment. At that moment, just transcended show business. It was humanity. Nobody wants to see nobody get hurt in a car accident like that, of that magnitude. And it's just a lot of love. That's all I felt was love. To see L looking at me, see Tina and Jane, and to see the whole theater it was incredible. It was, it was, 
Only thing I felt on that stage at the moment, straight love. Had you been thinking during your recovery about specific physical goals and things that you needed to deal I with? I want to walk again. I want to talk again. Right. I want to hold my daughter. I didn't even see her on her first birthday, man. I want to see my daughter walk. I want to walk my wife down the aisle. Those are things, just basic things. And once you've thought about those things, though, which are obviously take priority, were you even thinking about there might be a day when I could be back at Saturday Night Live? Yeah, of course, this thing that you love to do, yeah, I thought about it. But at the hand, there were more important things for me. Right. Were you in touch with Lauren? Yeah, Lauren called a few times. Tina came to the house once or twice. David Letterman called. Don Rickles would call me all the time. I love you, Don. It's just the type of man he is. So how did it come about that on this date, I believe in October of 2015, we did see you, but what, that we that you did make it back to 8-H? What went into that coming uh, about? I was on the phone one day after the Emmys, and I was walking. I was walking already. I was still in my therapy like I do now. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, my therapist came over. We, were in this, we did a workout in a swimming pool yesterday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes she looks at me, she don't like the way I walk. She don't like the way I walk. And she put me in the pool. Yes, get in the pool, go upstairs, get dressed, get in the pool. And we did a lot of stretching and working out yesterday. But I was in my car one day. And I was in the the city and we rolled past NBC. I called Lauren Michaels. And I I got real emotion. We was talking. He asked me how I was doing, how I feel, how did my legs feel. I was telling him how I felt. And I said, Lauren, I, I want to come home. And without, he just said, doors open. A little ways later, I got the call. You're going to be doing October 17th. You're going to host. And I broke down. Were you excited about that date? Now you have something to look forward to? Or was it something that you were That's a little happiness. nervous about? It's happiness. Happiness is a simple thing, man. Happiness is simply having something to look forward to. When you smile at something. And that's what I did. I was so happy to go back, but when I got there, it was a different story. I was scared to death. What scared you the most? It was like being, it was like the first day, performing. Not being able to perform. Then I got my own head. Then I, from what you know, I talked to Lauren, and Lauren set me straight again. Like it was the first day. He what? set me straight again with simplicity. They're not here for your comedy. They're here to, just because you're alive. They're happy to see you. To this day, right now, when I walk down the street sometimes, people look like they saw a ghost because I was almost gone. I was knocking on the door, and people just happy. I've been in people's homes for many years. Oh, yeah. There's a connection. You get connected like you family when you're in their homes. TV's a little bit more personable than movies. And when you get that connection, people feel like, yeah, my cousin made it. Made it through the surgery, man. So can you remind viewers, because you were hilarious that night, when you came out those doors, you did a little prank at first, right? Yeah. That's so I didn't have to talk about it ever again. That was getting... That was me letting them know I'm okay. If I can make fun about it, it's good. If you don't laugh, you're going to cry. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's time for us to laugh again. That was Lauren Michaels doing September 11th again. That was 9-11 all over again. Just giving people permission. 9-11, all over again. Yeah. That's why I love him. I love that man. Absolutely. He's a good man. I don't care what nobody ever said about him. He's a good man. 
There are many years I've known him. That's all he showed me was goodness and goodwill and had goodwill for me and my family. So that night, you revisited a lot of these great characters that you'd made famous on that show. You've got your 30 Rock comrades there. When you look back on that night, what are you going to remember the most? Your family was also obviously mentioned. What do I remember the most? And a prayer to Jimmy Mack that got me through it. And my dad got me through it, please. I remember being backstage before I came out. And I said, this one is for you, Daddy. This one is for you, Jimmy. And I went out. And when you were recognized with an Emmy nomination for that night, you did the same thing. I was happy about it. That was a big, a big deal. I remember one time being in the hospital. As a matter of fact, I wasn't in the hospital. I was at home. And I was watching it direct. I would watch it every day just on Apple TV, just look at it. And I said, they finally saying your name, Jimmy. This is the scene of the accent that they had footage of. They finally saying your name, Jimmy. How, in spite of all this horrible stuff that you've had to go through and you've lost your friend and you've had a huge physical recovery that you've had, and you've still kept your sense of humor where... Well, that's what I was concerned about the most yeah. in the hospital, where I'd be able to be funny again. How would I approach it? I forgot how I did it the first time. Didn't came to me as I started doing it again. Okay, I do love this. I remember when I first did it, it was because my family was poor. We were poor and all those things. I still have that same energy now. And I just think it's incredible that you can find very funny humor in in anything, including this situation. I mean, the quote, I still shop at Walmart. I was in a wheelchair, but you still can't beat their prices. <laughs> who else Who else could do that? Say if you don't, if you don't laugh, <laughs> Willie. Right, right. So last thing that I want to ask you, just because we've covered a lot of your amazing story here, and I just wonder now, having come through this stuff, do you ever take your kids back to where you were born and raised and show them, maybe remind yourself as well? Me and my wife just went to Coney Island last night for my, my first anniversary. There are times where I just get in the car and I go back to my roots. If you don't know the roots, what's going to happen to the tree? It's going to die. You cut the tree from the roots, what happens to the tree? That's it. I stay close to my roots. I don't hang out, but I'll drive through no, the reason I ask is it just it's got maybe reminds you, look how far you've come. But I also see how far I got to go. Yeah. Well, so happy that you're doing better, and it's great to Thank you have so you much. here. Thank, Thank you, you really appreciate Thank it. Thank you, man.